this is Dawn Schuler, certified trainer and business consultant at the Schuler Group with the When People Thrive, Companies Thrive podcast. Today is the first episode in our new season where I am interviewing people from organizations that are dedicated and transparent about their culture, engagement, and or DEI initiatives. And so I'm really excited to introduce Elliot Epstein with Lightyear Health as, as my guest. Welcome, Elliot. Thank you so much for having me, Don. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So how this all started was I was doing some research, marketing research, and I came across Lightyear Health website and looking at, you know, they, there's a whole page on DEI and of course, that always sparks my interest, took a look at it and was really blown away by how transparent you all are with your diversity and inclusion efforts. Uh, at the very top of, of the page, at least right now, you know, it's about be yourself and helping people to belong and then showing the breakdown in different areas of diversity. And Elliot, one of the things I know about you is you are very much uh, dedicated to diversity and inclusion, values, and management coaching as the chief people officer and chief administrative officer at Lightyear Health. So let's just dive in. Tell me a little bit about you know, what, what you do over at Lightyear Health. Yeah, so I think you <laughs> summarized a lot of the areas that I'm interested in very well. Um, I would say that my remit is to support the teams that enable us to attract evaluate and hire great people, ensure that they have amazing experiences as they get up to speed and onboard, which you know is, is not an easy thing to do in a remote environment, and especially for a healthcare delivery service organization, and then ensure that people are receiving the right types of professional and interpersonal development throughout their time at Lightyear. So everything from buttressing their kind of clinical skill set to having dedicated trainings on how to give and receive feedback and how to coach um, or uh, manage effectively, especially in tougher situations. Um, in addition, I oversee the folks that manage our compensation and benefits program, as well as other diversity and inclusion efforts and cultural sort of uh, awareness and I would say bridge building activities. And then I also, in the administrative capacity, oversee a lot of cross-functional initiatives and project management that touch different teams. Generally, I would say my focus is on the internal organization, so making sure that we are aligned on goals, making sure that communication is strong, and that enables us to have a strong external presence and have the impact that we seek to achieve with our patient populations. That is awesome. And I, I do a lot of research and keeping up with the great resignation and what's coming out of the research and the surveys is that some of the top things that people want and why they're leaving one job for another is that need for professional and personal development. And, you know, they, they're willing to take a pay cut because to work for an organization where they're aligned with the values of the organization, which is why um, when you said that that was one of your, your, your main areas of passion, it just seems right on with what's going on. And so I have to ask, how long has Light Your Health had these initiatives in place? Was it before the pandemic? 
Was it in reaction and you all were just more innovative than some other organizations who haven't caught up yet? Yeah, it's a great question. So our business model has evolved several times in the last few years. We used to primarily, we actually, we started by running an assisted living facility and then we were providing primary care and assisted living facilities. And over time, what we've realized is that the greatest market need was for specialty care in physical uh, medicine and rehabilitation, which is also inclusive of pain management as well as behavioral health in congregate adult living settings for people who are either in post-acute situations, have uh, chronic or complex injuries, or are dealing with the hardships associated with aging. And so for us, you know, I, I would say that the pandemic has informed the way that we connect and sort of spin up and deliver content. And we think a lot about engagement and how to sort of hold people accountable, including those who are presenting the content for being extra engaging, because we know that people can feel a little isolated and lonely when we're at home. But I would say that the core need was not necessarily informed by the pandemic, and it was rather just informed by the need to have people who show up with the sort of right intrinsics and motivation and are motivated to get great in their job. And then for us to build the sort of skills and experiences they need in order to ex excel at scale. So how do you go about learning that, determining that? What is it that they want? Sure. So we have a few things that we do. Um, we have an onboarding software platform called Sapling. This is not a sponsor of the podcast, but I will say it has been highly effective in keeping things streamlined. So much of running a tight uh, people in HR function comes down to detail management. Um, and so a lot of what we do once someone is hired is collect information from them, including their, their level of knowledge, comfort, and familiarity with different types of software platforms. So we have a very diverse workforce. We have folks who have worked exclusively in clinical backgrounds. We have folks who have come from startups. We have folks who've come from large companies or management consulting organizations. And, you know, you can't have a one-size-fits-all approach when it's such a varied uh, mix of people. And so the first thing we do is just ascertain who has what level of familiarity with each, with what type of software platform or communication tool that we'll need to that they'll need to use uh, when they get here. And then we're able to sort of have dedicated onboarding sessions for people who might need a bit more coaching or sort of skill development in something that's less familiar. Um, we also have a kind of templated onboarding plan. Each department has one where we sort of say, what are the things that people need to know within their first one to two weeks, within their first one to two months, within their first quarter, within their first year. And then within that, we have dedicated sort of recurring meetings or interactive recorded trainings where people can sort of uh, broaden their skill sets and get dedicated sort of focus time in those key areas. We have a few other structures in place as well. So one of the things that I implemented when I got to Light Your Health was uh, universal training on how to give and receive feedback effectively, because this is something that is such a make or break force for an organization and that so few people actually commit to or do well. I think there's kind of an apprehension around if I give feedback and I'm honest, will there be some sort of blowback as a result of that or will it compromise a relationship? And actually organizations that are light on honest feedback tend to be lower performing. So that's one thing. Um, we have all, anyone who's hiring for a role on their team or serving as an interview panelist go through interview training, which includes a lot about how to sort of understand and proactively mitigate unconscious bias. And then we have a lot of other structures. So we have 
uh, meetings with the entire company every two weeks where it's a lot of education on business context and goals and strategies and how things are changing. We have brown bag uh, lunch and learns where people sort of share what they're doing in a particular department or team. And there's a lot of um, other sort of more informal resources as well as a learning management system where people can access content on demand. So there's a lot that we do. Um, one of the risks that I would say with an approach like that is that the sheer volume of materials that are available can in and of itself be overwhelming. So you have to really walk people through how to kind of sort and filter and find the things that are most relevant for them as well as how to sort of pace things so that they're not trying to understand A to Z in the first week and they can chunk things so that it becomes more manageable. And what feedback, oh, and before, before I continue that sentence, um, sure. yay, because um, you know, research has shown that if there is a poor onboarding experience for a new hire, that there's a direct correlation to their retention staying as an employee. And so the fact that you are, are so um, conscious about that and implementing some of the training, so kudos to you. Uh, so my, my question uh, is then, what kind of feedback have you gotten from new hires about your onboarding experience? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest, it's a range. I think it has changed so much, even month over month, it, it continues to get better and more focused. There uh, were times when I think before all of these systems had totally coalesced and come together, there were still issues through no one's fault. Just it's the nature of being in a fast moving company where the left hand doesn't always know what the right hand's doing. And I will say the generosity of spirit and sort of um, strong uh, and noble intentions behind the feedback that we got in those instances was really good. And so over time, we've made things much more cohesive. We have sort of dedicated groups of people who are focused on onboarding um, on a cross-functional level to make sure that no one is giving contradictory information and that we're pacing people sort of days and weeks appropriately. But over time, the feedback has become really strong. Like, you know, that people appreciate that we're so kind of proactive about collecting the right information, that we're proactive about sharing context, that there's a singular place where they can look for all of their kind of comprehensive list of to-dos, that we offer such sort of like dedicated hands-on training and ongoing support for some of the technology that they'll need to get used to. And I think people feel like it's a very friendly and welcoming experience, even when it's not perfect. And by the way, I don't think anyone does this perfectly. I think, you know, one of our sort of core principles is this hypothesized test iterate idea where you sort of have a theory about what can make something better. You test it, you tweak it, and you continue doing that. And I think what you find is the continuous improvement over time um, is really uh, the thing that drives change. Absolutely. And, you know, I, there's so many facets to any organization and what you're talking about onboarding is is a facet is it's rarely a check it and and you're done any any of these facets um we work with a cybersecurity firm and they you know that's what they say cybersecurity isn't just a you did it and you're done and you don't have to do it again and i think again that that is applicable to pick an area and an organization, and that's probably applicable. And I don't think many organizations look to that, especially in terms of onboarding, for that continuous improvement. And that, you know, turns around to bite them if, if they're not. 
Yeah, I think you're you're speaking to a few things that really resonate with me. One is this idea that people don't often retain a piece of information or a skill that is told to them once or presented to them once. It needs to be consistently reinforced. And the person on the sort of uh, delivery end of that might feel like they're being repetitive and sort of bombarding people with the same stuff over and over again. But I think giving people the grace to allow something three or four or five times before it really uh, sinks in and they're accountable for knowing it versus one is key. Um, there's another realization uh, that we've had and my team talks a lot about is that people just learn differently. Some people need to actually uh, be on the keyboard and mouse themselves and go through the right keystrokes in order to learn a software platform. Others can just watch a demo. Others can just see screenshots and there's nothing good or bad about any of those, but you just sort of need to reach as many people as possible. Um, the other thing that I would say is that there's this sort of like basic uh, principle of product development, where if you think about everything that you might do to improve within a certain area in a, in a totally open-minded sort of blank slate way, and then you categorize things with respect to effort and impact. So the things that are high effort, low impact are probably not worth your time. The things that are low effort, high impact are easy wins that you should just do right away. And the things that are high effort and high impact are probably worthwhile, but you need to be really deliberate about prioritization. Um, I think that the high effort, high impact things and being clear about what those are and the sequence in which they'll be done and what they'll, you know, take by way of cost or resources or time or any of that that's so key. And so trying to boil the ocean and do everything at once will never be the winning formula. But if you can just say, these are the one or two things that I'm really going to focus on improving in the next couple of weeks, and then get into a rhythm where they all happen consistently, you can over time add and sort of build that muscle memory organizationally so that within six months or a year, you've got a really solid program. Exactly. And what came to mind as you were speaking is this conscious intentionality. And like I said, not just, okay, we did that, we can move on, but kind of a scanning of the landscape. All right, we did this. We've implemented these things. We said this was a high impact thing. Let's, let's focus on that over the next couple of weeks. And then scanning the landscape again, because that, that's a change. You've changed the environment. You know, is that working the way we thought it would? Did that maybe impact something else that might have been a low impact, but now is a high impact. It's, it's that attitude that, like you said, is going to lead to true change, but it takes consciousness and intentionality. Yeah. And I would also say it takes not only scanning the landscape, as you mentioned, but getting direct feedback. And there's a way that you can sort of orchestrate uh, surveys in which people will give you sort of consistent types of feedback if you ask the right sort of very specific questions and have a kind of um, survey uh, scale that is validated by sort of best practices in that general methodology so that you can truly measure. And I think, again, it goes back to this product mindedness idea. One thing that I really believe is that the product isn't, the, isn't only the thing that you're selling or delivering to the users outside of the company. The company itself and the experiences that you cultivate within it for people are product too. And so if you think of the end user as employees of your company, um, and you're really empathetic and curious and thoughtful about what they need and ask open-minded and open-ended questions or very focused questions that get you actionable information, it'll be kind of ongoing improvement. And I think people 
are very uh, appreciative of that and in fact would rather see deliberate sort of feedback structures and ongoing improvement than this sort of veneer of perfectionism because anytime something seems to be perfect it's probably more of an illusion than a reality and i think being being open and honest uh, to your earlier point just around transparency generally with where we know things are working and where they know they can be improved is, is something that wins universal trust. And that's true when it comes to onboarding and it's true when it comes to many other areas as well. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that, that we do at the Shula Group is called the Company Climate Inventory, which is survey uh -huh. taken by, by all the people in an organization anonymously. And one of the things we tell clients, if you're not going to do anything with the information, don't even bother doing this because everybody Absolutely. will have taken it and they'll have poured their heart out in this survey. And then if you do nothing and don't acknowledge it, it things are actually going to be worse than if you hadn't gotten the information to begin with. And, and then what you're saying too made me think of, and then the organizations who do decide to do something with the information they get, whether it's from our survey or another or you know, feedback that they're getting on a regular basis, they don't have to be perfect, right? None of us are perfect. And I think that the more honest, authentic, and transparent we can be as leaders and organizations and say, hey, we know that X is a problem and we're working on it. The really enlightened organizations would, you know, bring in, you know, the employees to help them with that. Um, and, and here's our progress. Um, we feel like we're making baby steps or we tried this and it, it didn't work. I, I'd just love to hear your feedback on that whole, like, let's bring everybody in, help make changes. And sometimes we might stumble and sometimes we might actually fail. Yeah, no, I mean, I think companies and leadership teams at companies in particular do themselves a profound disservice when they try to paper over or sweep under the rug missteps or mistakes that have been made, what people really appreciate much more than that is being genuine and honest about them. So one of the things that I implemented soon after getting to Light Your Health, which we've done consistently, are quarterly surveys. So we have, and it, it sounds a little bit like uh, the tool that you've used with some of your clients. Um, we use a platform called Lattice that has uh, a few, many preset questions uh, to choose from, and the vast majority of them are what's called Likert scale questions, which will have a positive statement such as, I trust my manager to make strong decisions for our team. That would be an example. And then the answers can range from strongly disagree to disagree, to neither agree nor disagree, to agree to strongly agree. And the Likert scale questions are sorted into themes like management, commitment to the company, et cetera. And you can analyze uh, the responses that you get both by theme and by individual question. We also include something called the ENPS, which is the Employee Net Promoter Score. It's similar to a net promoter score that you would get, again, for an external client or user of your product. And it's basically how likely are you to recommend uh, this company as a place to work. And the answer is really the promoters on a scale of 1 to 10, those who write 9 or 10, minus the detractors, which are those who have less than 7, or including or less than 7, rather. Um, and that's one measure of how you're doing as well. Um, the way that we do this is to have a lot of questions twice a year in January and in July. And then we show um, at an all company meeting how we did in, in terms of individual themes and how we did on a question by question basis. Um, we share our ENPS and this is also a time when we transparently share all of the sort of diversity and demographic data for the company. 
um, so that we can see sort of how it's changing quarter over quarter. And then what we do is we say, okay, this reveals a lot, but we believe that these two to three things can be the rising tide that lifts all boats. If we can improve, for instance, the degree to which managers give feedback and focus on professional development goals and plans rather than just transactional things, and if we can improve the visibility of uh, company strategy decision-making or company financial status, uh, revenue burn, et cetera, that will in turn positively impact all of these other areas where there are also room for improvement. And so we'll say, here's what we're doing as a company. It's these three things. We're going to do them consistently. Uh, and you are also going to talk at a team by team level as to what those levers are within your teams, because you can cut the data any way you want to, including by team, by gender, by um, other diversity um, sort of uh, demographics, as well as by tenure at the company, seniority, et cetera. So there's sort of team commitments that are made and company commitments that are made. And then three months later, we do what's called a check-in survey where we don't ask the full set of questions. We only ask questions that pertain to the sort of pointed improvements that we've tried to make and we see how we've progressed. And I'll be very honest, in the last uh, survey, there were areas where we made progress and there were other areas where we slipped. And I think some of those were due to uh, COVID outbreaks and the um, you know response that that has on a business where you're trying to treat adults in person and other just issues uh, that, that came up that we hadn't totally anticipated. But rather than trying to paper over them, we were very honest and um, solicited a lot of feedback from folks and did everything we could to make ourselves more approachable. And I think people, when they see that, really appreciate it. Um, so that's a big part of the accountability, um, something that I talk about constantly, whether it's with engagement efforts or with uh, management, is this, this idea of the say-do ratio, meaning what percentage of the things that you say are going to happen actually happen, and how much can people trust you? And you know, there, you don't get nine lives in this. So if you constantly promise people the world and deliver on nothing, you know, it's it's worse to do that than to not make any promises at all. But if you can say we are going to take these two or three very specific actions and check back on them, and then you do it, you know, there's very little that can be disputed there. And I really do think that engenders long-term trust. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know, I don't know if it's a societal or culture thing. I mean, I know, you know, growing up and you know, and raising two daughters that you know, nobody wants to get in trouble, right? Nobody wants to do something wrong. And sure. so, so we, we put on this, this facade of, you know, never make mistakes or, um, you know, thinking about the hiring or the recruiting or the interviewing process, you know, here, here's how perfect and wonderful I am as a prospective employee. And I don't think that we really have good models. And again, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm a little, my, my thinking is maybe a little restrictive, but it doesn't seem like we have good models for, you know, I made a mistake and um, here's what I've learned from it. Here's what I'm going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, and, and I think that the, the, well, organizations, but even, you know, individually and personally, the more we can do that, we're, we're leading from a place of, we don't expect perfection. We expect honesty, authenticity, effort. Um, anyway, that's, that's my- I think that's actually, absolutely right. Oh, and I, I appreciate your saying that. You know, one of the qualities that I have really tried to make a personal commitment to embody is vulnerability. 
and sincerity as opposed to sort of unflappable stalwart I, I have always been on the right side of history and I've never made a mistake type of leadership because I think that is where you sort of lose people, right? There's this um, a podcast I really like called Freakonomics that did a series on the secret life of CEOs. And one of the things that they found, and these were huge companies like Pepsi, Microsoft, et cetera. The moment people think that because they're at the top of the sort of hierarchy or pecking order, they don't have anything to learn from the folks uh, on the ground doing the work day to day is the moment that companies start to fail. Um, and it's not just around morale, it's also around understanding how work on the ground plays out. And that's something that we're making a major effort to do right now, particularly as a remote company. Um, so we're spending a lot more sort of time with people who are on the front lines of delivering care to really understand how the decisions we make um, affect their day to day. And I think that's been very valuable. But I would say in general, the simple words of I made a mistake and here's what I learned from it. And I'm not only failing forward, but I'm sharing this both to humble myself and to disabuse us all of the idea that mistakes are a bad thing that need to be avoided at all costs, but rather it's only really a mistake if you keep it to yourself, if you don't learn from it, if you allow someone else to make it because you haven't cared. And that is not often how we are conditioned to think. Um, and it's not typically behavior that is encouraged or rewarded, but you know, I think there's a pretty direct correlation between companies where you're not allowed to make mistakes and this elusive standard of perfectionism is expected to high degrees of burnout, disengagement, or you know, otherwise low morale. And let's let's not repeat a problem that we know is very cyclical that way. I, I keep writing all these notes and questions I want to ask, and sure. <laughs> I, uh, I I have a feeling we could talk for a long time. So I have to uh, I have to monitor that. What what no you were problem. talking about the um, you know that commitment to vulnerability and sincerity and and that being a model. So that leads me right into one of the things that you said you're passionate about, which is that management coaching. And so yeah. is that a piece of that management coaching? Um, I'll just, I'll stop there and, and let you answer. Yeah. I mean, there is a very simple behavior that I think all managers should do constantly, uh, as, as to the point where they feel like they're blue in the face and to the point where their team members are sort of like, okay, I got it, which is ask for feedback with an open mind. It's not a perfunctory check the box gesture. It's saying, you know, I would love to hear some feedback on how I can better support you how I can better share transparency, transparently, excuse me, company context that you might not be privy to that would help you do your job, how I can help you sort of with presenting your work um, to a broader audience, uh, to leveling up in certain skill sets that represent not only where you are now, but where you hope to go. And, you know, often people will be a little bit sheepish about it at first because they're not used to the question and they don't want any answer to seem like an affront to a relationship that they're trying really hard to keep uh, steady and copacetic. But once you actually have that line of dialogue and you show that you are committed to listening to the answer as opposed to just asking the question, it can really be transformative. So that is one thing that managers simply don't think to do. And that once you do that, it can be incredibly helpful. Um, we have uh, management expectations training for everyone at Light Your Health who is a leader for teams. There's three core pillars of what we expect for our managers. It's invest in relationships, build great teams, and drive results. And under each of those pillars, there are a set of three to five observable behaviors that come with them. 
And there are ways um, in which those observable behaviors are measured. Um, another thing that I have rolled out is making sure that every single people manager at Light Your Health has what's called a talent partner. And that is someone who is not a manager to them and is not someone to assign them work or make their lives more complicated, but rather to check in on how the people management aspect of their job is progressing so that they have a constant source of support. Now, you might say that a regular manager should be checking in on that too. And it's not to say that they can't or shouldn't. And I think often they do, but there's so much day-to-day -day work product to churn out and so many different problems to solve that come up just in the course of a growing company that having set aside dedicated space just to talk about management leadership and team culture, just to look at survey results, gives people sort of an outlet that they didn't realize that they needed, but often really benefit from. So that's another thing um, that we're, we're really committed to here. And then a third thing I'll just mention quickly is that we have a structure now where we have for pretty much every single team at Light Your Health, a career development framework that sort of answers consistent questions around what does it mean to take on more scope or responsibility or ownership? What does it look like to require less day-to-day -day oversight? What does it look like to have a more sort of outsized contribution or impact on the company? And we have these things called professional development plans where every single person has one to two goals, sometimes three, but we try to keep them small of areas that they wanna grow in, sort of core competencies within their career development framework, and a few things that the manager and the team member will do to ensure that those things can actually be reached. And often, you know, this is another big thing that uh, people often uh, assume is this idea that any of this work is a distraction from core company performance. But what I would say instead is that the work that um, is represented in these career development plans is actually work that needs to happen for the company anyway. This is not like a side science project that exists in a vacuum. It's actually just putting into context and perspective how the work that people are doing day to day, including the new sort of stretch opportunities that they receive, actually enable the company to do well, but also enable the team member to grow. Um, and over time, you know, get that title that they've been hoping for, get that pay bump that they've been hoping for, et cetera. And as we talked about earlier, that is a huge area that employees are saying they want from their employer is this opportunity sure. to grow and develop. And what I, at least I hope this is what I'm seeing is that the, the organizations that are going to not just survive, but thrive, but yes, also survive others than the ones who aren't going to are going to be ones who see, can they create this world, uh, this, uh, well, I don't know what to call it, but where it's not just your job that you go do eight hours a day or 10 hours a day, and it's separate from your actual life. But what if your job is part of your life? And so you, you don't have to separate the two, but because you're doing work that's important and you feel that you're an important part of that organization, that, um, that you matter. And then also that as a human, you matter, you're not necessarily going to have to have this strict demarcation between, well, that's my work life. And then here's my home life. And I would yeah. love to hear your, your thoughts on that. Sure. So there's actually a concept that I was introduced to, goodness, more than 15 years ago now, long before I ever uh, set foot at Light Your Health, called personal ecology. 
And it's kind of the idea of work-life balance reimagined in which it's not so much about how many hours you spend doing which thing, which I think is often how work-life work balance sort of um, gets boiled down to, but rather how do you optimize your life in a way that you're spending time on the things that give you energy, purpose, and fulfillment? And how do you make sure that you have enough rest and engagement with things outside of work to continue feeling inspired at work? Um, you know, there is a sort of effect that I think I've, I've experienced. I haven't always set healthy boundaries this way in which if people just work around the clock because there's so much to do, particularly in early stage growth companies that you can always make the case for working more. The creativity, the sort of focused thinking, the ability to actually share these ideas in ways that they resonate and land with others will over time deteriorate. So you cannot presume that more time spent equals better output or better quality of work. That being said, there are times, you know, when I've experienced or when I've seen other people experience like a lot of fun in doing the work that they do. And especially in the sort of uh, dog days of the pandemic, when people were so constricted with where they could go, if that meant spending more time on something that they enjoyed, that moved the needle forward, that brought them a sense of fulfillment, this idea that they aren't allowed to do that because it's outside of a certain time window is, is I think, a little bit reductive and problematic. That being said, um, I do think it's important to draw boundaries and to manage what those uh, look like and, and communicate them clearly to others. So I have a, a two-year-old daughter. Um, I'm having another one this fall. And people know that when I'm with my daughter, when I have to go to pick her up at daycare, Occasionally, maybe I can do a phone call while she's in the stroller, but more often than not, I'm offline. And because I have to end the day slightly earlier than many others would, particularly as a company that has folks on the West Coast as well, and I'm on the East Coast, I may get back online for an hour at night just to sort of clean out emails, respond to slacks, et cetera. But that is my choice. It is nothing that anyone is telling me to do, and it helps me feel more relaxed and focused as I start the next day. Um, one thing, by the way, on the topic of personal ecology and sort of on uh, the, this idea of like being respectful of other people's boundaries and not having a 24-hour sort of you can be pinged anytime culture, I'm a huge fan of the delayed delivery. Gmail does it, Slack does it. You can basically schedule a response to go out at some point where it will be less intrusive. And you can also silence notifications on your phone. And I think as long as you are accountable to folks who you work with, that you're not blocking their ability to progress, um, and that they feel like they get timely responses from you. However you choose to do this is very much up to you. I think the key is just to be clear and consistent with yourself and to set the right expectations for others. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I wasn't necessarily promoting uh, kind of a no boundary in between that, but just okay. there's been just so much, you know, that Sunday night blues or the Monday morning blues of, ugh, yeah, I have to go to work. And to me, I mean, you're spending at least a third of your life. And if you think about your waking life, and it's even more than a third of your waking life at a job, and it shouldn't be something you hate or you dread. What if we could all be doing work where we matter, where, where we feel we matter um, so that it doesn't have to be this, well, I have to do this. I hate it. And, but then I can have, you know, the life over here. So it wasn't that there's no boundaries necessarily, but just that let's, let's make work, not such a bad word or a job, such a bad word. Let's make it a, 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 an important piece 
and a fulfilling piece. That's that's probably the, the more important, a fulfilling piece of, of, of who we are. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's right on the nose. Absolutely. So one of the, the reasons I wanted to do this, this new season, this new series uh, in my podcast was to, to highlight organizations like Light Your Health um, for the great work that they're doing and show you as a model for other organizations who, who maybe haven't implemented some of this or aren't as far along. But what they're going to be asking is, okay, so great that, that you do all of this work on you know, onboarding and feedback and diversity, equity and inclusion and belonging. What results are you seeing from that? Yeah, I mean, I would I would say that there is a couple uh, sets of results that I would would point to here. So one is that when you look at the demographics of the company, they've very much uh, become more diverse. Um, so currently, we have over ten percent of the company identifying as a member of the LGBTQ plus communicate community. Um, Fifty four percent right now, and I think actually perhaps more because this data that I'm looking at is a, a month or two old. Um, but 54% as of a month or two ago were people of color, um, 70% female or other gender minorities, meaning trans or non-binary, and uh, five unique religions uh, represented. So I think the fact that we are seeing that sort of steady level of diversity at the company um, is, is a sort of lagging indicator that we must be doing something right. Um, within the experience of working at Light Your Health, we have a couple of things. So we have affinity groups, for people from different backgrounds. Um, we have one for uh, Latinx communities, for Black communities, for the LGBTQ community. We have one for working parents. We have one for women in tech. So uh, they meet once a month. Um, it's purely social time. We are probably going to ratchet up over time, sort of like the level of resources and investment that we put into them so that they're more kind of accountable for company-wide education. But you sort of have to, again, learn how to pace things. Um, we do cultural celebrations and heritage months. so. We have um, a Slack channel that's dedicated to this where there will be uh, trivia once a week where we will post historical figures. Um, we also share publicly um, with the world uh, some of that information with blog posts and with some of that same content um, that's posted to our social channels. So I think being outspoken internally and being outspoken externally is also a thing that we really care about. Um, when there are current events that happen that we realize have a direct impact on uh, someone's morale or ability to focus or just sort of stay engaged when the world can be so hectic and overwhelming, I will often write a statement to everyone just saying, make sure to take time for yourself. We're here if you need a sounding board. We realize that this stuff hits people in different ways and we want to be a, a resource for you. Um, we did that with uh, the recent leaked opinion about Roe versus Wade. I made a similar statement uh, about some of the laws in Texas where we have a large community um, involving uh, transgender children and their parents. Um, so there's a lot there um, that we really strive for. Everyone at Light Your Health gets training on uh, equity and inclusion and belonging and what are what is our philosophy? What does it mean? What are equitable and inclusive behaviors? How can we be held accountable? Uh, as I mentioned before, we also train all of our interviewers on how to have a very structured kind of competency-based approach, how to understand what unconscious bias is, how it can seep into an interview process, and what are the strategies that you need to avert that from awareness to the way that you write down feedback and make decisions, et cetera. 
Um, and, you know, aside from that, I think we just really encourage people to be outspoken about who they are. Like I'm openly gay and I have been so for many years, but since day one, I post photos of my family. There's, there's just many examples of this. And so when we look at our engagement data cut by different demographics, we don't actually see that much of a difference. And I think that plus the sort of steady state of the population here lets me know that at least some of this is working. Um, it's not to say that we can't and shouldn't do more. And over time, of course, we will. But I think we, we have promising headway. So with all that you are doing, Elliot, and it's these are these are amazing things. How do you, you see that affecting if, if you can, if you have this data, um, things like employee retention? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the amount of voluntary attrition we have is extremely low and people consistently say how much they appreciate this and, and see fantastic. that the efforts are genuine and that they feel like there's a place for them to sort of have a sense of community here. I will say it's tough, right? Because, you know, we're still living in a world where there's a new variant of COVID every few months. We're a healthcare service delivery company, but we are trying to do sort of periodic social events on Zoom, at least, that sort of break the ice and get people to interact with one another more organically. Another initiative that I'm really proud of is that we sort of are taking a look at our core values in the context of what it really means to live and breathe them and how they guide our work um, and, and enable us to make tough decisions and solve problems and resolve disagreements. And so similar to what Netflix and HubSpot have done in the past, I worked with a cross-sectional group of folks to create like a very engaging sort of self-guided deck on this. Um, we are sharing it in, in sort of mini installments week over week of focusing on one value. And then we are coming together as a company to have small group discussions. And we're also sharing a lot of this content on social media as well. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I, I love that. I, what, what is really coming to mind for me is that, and, and you made mention of this uh, but that you are putting time in these areas and sounds like you're giving people space to be able to engage in these areas. You have these lunch and learns, you have these discussions, you, you're allowing them the space instead of, oh yes, all this work on values and culture is really important, um, but you really need to do your job. <laughs> Um, so that stuff maybe gets handled in the background or not really. You all look like you're taking that stand and saying, this is important. Therefore, we're going to make space for it in our day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month activities. Yeah. And I think the trick is just to sort of be able to clearly illustrate how that leads to the outcomes that all of us want, right? So just to give an example from, from Lightyear, we treat patient populations with all sorts of demographic backgrounds. And I think, you know, this idea that if we have sort of inclusion and belonging front and center internally, that will also cascade down to interactions with patients externally. So much of caring for people with complex or, you know, post-acute situations comes down to bedside manner and understanding and soft skills, as opposed to just sort of clinical knowledge and expertise. And we want to really model all of that. Um, and I think there's plenty of data out there to show that more diverse and inclusive teams have better company outcomes in terms of financial returns and product growth and brand awareness and all sorts of things. So we want to really lean into that and sort of 
realize that this isn't a nice to have, it is a must have, and it is part and parcel with the rest of, of the work that we do. Fabulous uh, philosophy. And I love that you're putting that into practice. So my last question is, sure. you know, as, I, as I've mentioned that, you know, I really want this to be, you know, a model that other organizations can learn from. So what would be the number one recommendation as a place to start for, you know, some leader who's listening to this episode and they say, oh my gosh, they, they're doing all of this. There's so many places we could go. What would you recommend as that number one place to start? Yeah, I would say, you know, I, I'm a big fan of something that my team hears me talk about all the time called the now soon later framework. So I would make this list of like, what are the things that might move the needle and be meaningful and help drive engagement and performance and just make a, an open-ended list and then put them into three categories. The now category being sort of stuff you'll do within the next two to three months. The soon category being a subsequent quarter or later this year. And the later category is truly a parking lot of like, we don't want to lose sight of this great idea, but we don't have the time or resources or bandwidth for it right now and really commit to two or three things at any given moment. The things that I've seen have the highest immediate return are uh, sort of dedicated trade back, tra training on giving and receiving feedback and putting into place a structured interview process and scoping roles um, in terms of competencies as opposed to do I like this person and could I see myself hanging out with them? And I think if you start there, the rest will eventually flow. Um, but you know, you're not, ever in a position where you have to go at it alone. There's so much free content out there that is great. And you're also not in a position where you have to go from zero to hundred on day one. So remember that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and that there's plenty of time, but if you're clear about what the current commitments are and you share those transparency and you can bring people along the journey, the, the fruits of that labor over time will really be something special. Thank you so much. Uh, so Elliot, as we come to a close, is there anything else you'd like to add uh, about Light Your Health or uh, anything else? I would be remiss to not mention that we are hiring in different departments and in different types of roles. So if you are an advanced practitioner, meaning either a nurse practitioner or physician's assistant, we probably have opportunities for you in California, Texas, or Virginia, probably more states over time. And we'll also have a number of corporate and technical roles opening up um, if they're not open already. So make sure to check out our website and connect with us on LinkedIn to continue following. We push a lot of great content out many times a week. And otherwise, you know, I, I realize that these things are not easily done and you will make mistakes, but the important thing is to learn from them and to be honest and sincere. And I think as long as you keep that front and center, you know, there will be no long-term failure. It's just short-term learning opportunities. But otherwise, uh, Don, this has been so much fun and thank you for having me. Absolutely. So check out lightyearhealth.com if you're interested in following them on, uh, on their blog, as well as looking up those career opportunities, connecting on LinkedIn. And until next time, may you thrive. <laughs>